right. Okay. Well, welcome to the Yes of Hunger podcast. I'm here with uh, George and John. <laughs> George uh, from UK Defense Journal and uh, John from uh, Defense Geek. And of course, OSINT Technical as well. Um, I think all of us are recovering a bit from uh, New Year's right now. We are recording this on the first because we're, we're very smart individuals, just very big brain. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think we wanted to take this episode to sort of look back at things that had happened this year, sort of look forward into the next year. Um, I know a lot of us are excited about projects we're working on, longer form things that are going to be coming out in the near future, at least from my end. But um, yeah, I think I think everyone is very happy with how this uh, year went, at least relatively um, news-wise. We didn't see um, anything nearly as bad as 2020. So that's that's definitely at least a positive note that we can start on. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think... 2021 certainly had its fair share of um, disasters and, and, and so on. But like, like you say, nothing quite on the scale of 2020. And hopefully it, it remains the case for 2022 as well. Yeah, I think we're on our, our way out of the, the woods. I don't know, close, I guess. <laughs> but but it, it, it's kind of perpetually felt close for, I don't know, what? almost a year now, yeah. I think. Yeah, I remember thinking about, actually about this time last year, yeah, that's us, we're on a bit, the exact, I said the exact same thing, we're on our way out of the woods, but here we are a year later, still wondering about it. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's always something to be, you know, hopeful for, and I, I guess we've gotten to this point where it's lasted so long that I think people are, you know, making necessary adjustments in order to you know sort of i guess stay in this place for however long it needs to be like this mm. but um you know we we make adjustments we we do what's necessary it's obviously been good for us as you know people when they're stuck at home read what we write and oh, you yeah. know instead instead of going out and doing enjoyable things they they go and depress themselves further which is definitely um yeah yeah, George. Maybe um, if I don't know if you want to give us a sort of summary of, of what's what's been happening with the UK Defence Journal over the last twelve months, and uh, and maybe what the plans are for the future. Oh yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's been a very. It's been. This might sound very strange given the global situation we're all in, but for the UK Defence Journal, at the very least, it has been a good year. I think in October there we hit two hundred million hits on the website. That's since January 2014, I think. Wow. But yeah, that that blew my mind. I never thought it, what started as a sort of silly little once a month blog would ever turn into that, you know. Mm. Um, I think the podcast itself has been doing quite well, if I recall correctly. What was the the most recent number for your downloads? We just hit a quarter million uh, lifetime of the podcast wow. views. Um with with a good chunk of them coming just from the last few episodes, so that's definitely yeah. um, also also progress on our end. Yeah, but um, I think my, my favorite part of the year for the UK Defence Journal was the "Are you a sixty five thousand ton Royal Navy aircraft carrier?" tweet. <laughs> I still see that pop up occasionally, and it was it was like it was so surreal for me when this first happened because. People I know, you know, at my day job, uh, my family, people who 
wouldn't associate me with the UK Defence Journal, you know, for, for example. We're sharing that on their Facebook, Instagram, you know, that kind of stuff. It was so weird. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it did go kind of sour though because I think um, the Daily Mail I think they tried their hardest to not not harass that's not the right word but find flaws with the Kerry I think her name was um, find flaws with Kerry I think they attacked her for being an SNP supporter someone else attacked her for being a, a Labour supporter so I mean the, the only downside to that was they turned a, what was a a bit of good fun into something that I didn't really want to be associated with, you know, it was just, it was nasty. Yeah. It, it really was. But, um, no, I think, and, oh, 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 we tricked Michael Gove, <laughs> which is quite a strange sentence to say, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, do you guys remember the aircraft carrier tweet? Not that one, the, the one with the tiny, tiny Charles de Gaulle. Yes. Yeah, I yeah. remember that. So, Michael Gove, and honestly, I can't remember any other names, but a lot of people who should know better retweeted that. But Michael Gove, he liked and retweeted it, so I really don't know what else to say about that. <laughs> I, I I would say I think I think this year UK Defence Journal did its work in uh, single handedly damaging the relationship between Britain and France a bit because <laughs> I, I I remember my reporting on the um on the Leclerc's uh, documents or. Leclerc manuals getting leaked and then technical or classified technical specifications caused caused a bit of a faff as well. I I know a few people tried to talk to me and um, yeah, def definitely a lot of uh, angry Frenchmen on that one. Though oh, so yeah. I I would say don't don't be angry at me. Be be angry at the Russian company who's actively or not actively soliciting this stuff, but you know there's kind of that wink and a nod. I think is is it three tanks now? Um, Challenger, I, I think also Leclerc, and the, I'm sure there was another one. Was it? So it was Challenger, Leclerc, and then this was over two years ago. A um, British uh, uh, Eurocopter Tiger pilot got in trouble um, for working with the game developer directly. There were some accusations by the uh, uh, German military that he had provided classified technical specifications. Um, and so I, I don't remember how that actually turned out. I think there might actually still be pending litigation over it. But um, there, I mean, this the game War Thunder does have a long and storied history of people leaking specified or classified documents for various vehicles. And... Um, you know, let's see what 2022 brings. I, I really I really hope someone doesn't end up leaking some, uh, you know, Abrams Set V3 armor protection statistics or we're going to be in a bit of trouble as well. I think the nature of the game, then again, no, maybe not, because there are a lot of, you know, combat simulation games, but it seems to be almost exclusively War Thunder. I think with War Thunder is the combination of the pursuit of realism combined with the way um, that they really realistically model damage. So changing things and getting really accurate actual protection models is sort of yeah. important for them. Um, and it, it just and then also the player base has a very high concentration of either former or current um, armored vehicle uh, crew members. So. You just you see something like that happen. Yeah, because I've I've tried to play War Thunder. I think it was 
if I remember correctly, this was a few years ago, and it was very arcadey. I know that you know since that there there are simulation modes and various other modes that I have no recollection of the name of. But yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 a single-handed focus on the vehicle, so you know, very very little on the cooperative side of things, but it's it's something we see. And I think it's fair to say that in the last year, it's not just sort of leaks to games that we've seen quite a lot of. Um, we've seen quite a lot of military information leaked via social media, haven't we? Huh. Well, that's that that's sort of the norm, I guess. You know, any. Anytime people see something, you know, a tank or an armored vehicle moving around, they'll they'll snap a picture and post it online, especially on Twitter. And and you know, uh, they'll they'll leave geotagging on, or they'll you know write in the location of where it is, or or they'll post it in a Telegram chat, and um, you know, stuff like that can be compiled and and provides us with a fairly good view of what's going on uh, around the world and and pretty much anywhere. I mean, obviously, anytime there's Either a, a rocket attack on central Israel by um, uh, uh, by anyone, um, you'll see you know hundreds of people tweeting out that they heard you know a loud boom over you know whatever city they're in, um, and you can use that to nail down you know what a rocket was fired at or you know where it generally went. Um, so so there's always that. Not even just that. The Ministry of Defence have been absolutely terrible with their um, uh, information security recently. Mm-hmm. I don't know if either of you two have read anything about the oh, what they called Vixen carrier-based uh, drones that are, you know, I think the Royal Navy are looking to use them for airborne early warning, refueling, and essentially anything else that might free up a Merlin helicopter. You know that that only came to light because they had accidentally. <laughs> No, it's because um, they uploaded us, I think it was Future Maritime Force. You know, I cannot for the life of me remember the specific acronym or abbreviation, but yeah. So they uploaded a series of PowerPoint slides that went into quite a lot of detail about what their plans are. Um, I think myself and Harry Lai at Shepherd News, we covered, you know, that, that quite extensively. And within the hour, it was all gone. You know, it had all been taken down and absolutely every single reference to it scrubbed so a lot of our stories this year have, have came from the ministry of defense accidentally posting things mm. like even you know to take back a couple of years ago it's not just the ministry of defense uh, bae for example there was a huge announcement planned with regards to the name of the i think it was the batch two river class ships and i happened to notice because bae once had once upon a time had an imagery portal that, you know, anyone could log on, access and just download promotional materials and that kind of thing. They had uploaded a series of CGI videos and imagery with the names of these ships. I think this was almost six months before the announcement was planned. Hmm. So so obviously, you know, we published that and I had a, an email from, I can't remember, not that it matters who at the Ministry of Defence, but please take that down. We don't want it getting out just now. Obviously, that didn't happen. <laughs> in the U.S. right now, um, in the state of Missouri, the uh, governor is actually going after um, uh, some journalists for reporting on the fact that they accidentally publicly posted um, the names and social security numbers of pretty much every uh, teacher in the state. Um, 
and and the and the the governor is is trying to go after the journalists on a journalists on a number of espionage laws and and computer hacking laws um even though the information was publicly posted so we're actually probably going to see that litigated out at some point in the US which can have um you know depending on what happens obviously our judiciary isn't really known for having the best education in um computer science but um that that could establish some precedents, at least over here, that that could be very dangerous for journalists. Oh yeah, I, I do remember seeing Mark Zuckerberg grilled by was it Congress? Maybe. Yeah, that was a few years. Uh, well, both both him and the CEO of Google um, yeah. were were asked some fairly funny questions by um, members of Congress who didn't have the uh, best grasp of uh, computers. You know, it always puts me in mind of, I think her name's Pauline Hansen in the US, the grilling of one of the Royal Australian Navy Admirals regarding pump jet submarines. <laughs> oh, that video's if... legendary. Yeah, yeah. But um, we had another, not as ominous, uh, communication from the Cabinet Office. Uh, this was at the very start of the year. It was one of the our big stories, in fact. Essentially, after spending X amount of money, um, upgrading a Voyager to be a VIP transport and then spending a lot of money on two A321s, I think. Mm. They contracted, or rather they put a tender to for a contract of up to £32 million. So I put out a story, essentially, government looking to pay up to £32 million for air transport despite X and Y. I got an email from someone at the Cabinet Office could you please specify we haven't spent 32 million it's going to be up to 32 million i responded back saying well that is in the headline and it does say that and i didn't hear anything back after that so not as ominous you know as has been charged with espionage but not long after that we had published that story again the, the contract tender had disappeared <laughs> yeah it's, it's and, just... and and furiously rewritten to uh you know look better yeah but there's so much of that, as I say, so much of our content comes from essentially other people making a mistake. <laughs> I don't know if yeah. that's a good thing, but it's a thing. And it well, and I, I do think there is a sort of a fear, at least among a lot of governments, when it comes to military spending of people not understanding how much things cost and, and sort of wanting to keep it that way. Um, which I, I think is definitely an element of the thinking, especially in those offices of... You know, it's better for us to sweep this spending under the rug than to actually admit to it openly. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, I, I think a large part of it is, as well, that it's a serious misunderstanding of how online media works. Uh, was it last year or was it this year? No, it was last year. Uh, so we had someone from, I think, it, I, again, I cannot for the life of me remember the squadron, but essentially he wanted us to remove an image of a Merlin helicopter cockpit we had posted. The Merlin helicopter cockpit image was taken by, I don't know if you guys know Henry Jones. He mm. used to, yeah, I think he's a story for now. Honestly, great guy, uh, does fantastic work. He was invited through us to go down to, I think it was Yeovil, and basically have a tour on a helicopter, have a look about, have the guys explain what they do, how they do it, and, you know, a, a, a day in the life sort of thing. So he took a few photos inside the helicopter. They were cleared. And a year later, someone new who'd just come into the position emailed us asking us, in fact, no, not asking, not demanding either, but, you know, he wasn't very civil, put it that way. Mm. You know, demanding that we take them down, that they shouldn't have been cleared. 
And I did try and point out that, well, they have been online for a year at this point. They were not taking them down. They were, you know, they were cleared. Only for someone else above him to come back to us, please ignore the message you've received. I, I won't name the guy, but please ignore the message you've received. The images are fine, thank you. So it's, it was someone taken upon themselves to, because he didn't like an image, he wanted them removed. Their online didn't seem to register. He thought, if, if we take them down, no one will ever see them again. But they're cash, yeah. they're, they're on other sites, they're on Twitter, you know. Yeah, have, have, have fun going to the Wayback Machine and trying to get yeah. them to take it down because they, they aren't going to do that. Um, and, and I think that is something that comes from there's there's basically this gap um, in military leadership where a lot of sort of the younger members of leadership, you know, um, junior officers may not be as familiar sort of with procedure um, and, and but maybe more familiar with technology and then older officers, um, you know, your senior officials and senior government members are very familiar with procedure, but very unfam unfamiliar with technology. And sort of you, you have this sort of space in the officer corps of a lot of mid-level officers that are both competent in procedure and, and have this competent understanding of technology. And, and those are the ones you typically want to deal with um, because they, they also have the authority sort of to overrule people who are um, being a bit stupid. You know, in my experience dealing with US, um, I think it's, DVIDs, the acronym, I cannot for the life of me understand what it is, but it's, it's the US Military Defence Image Portal. You know, where the news stories, press releases, video, etc, etc, it's posted. Yeah. The UK has something very, very similar, but for about two months, it didn't work. And I had to personally email individuals at the Ministry of Defence to ask them to send me a zip file with a photo or a video in it. You know, so uh, it could be an embargoed story, it could be breaking news, I would have to wait about 12 hours the very least sometimes two or three days just to get an image to illustrate it and it is night and day compared to how the US does it and how the UK does it. The British Armed Forces many at lower sort of younger levels are trying so hard to push messages but they're met with a resistance almost you know a, a lot of people seem to operate a lot of the more senior personnel will say operate on the more old-fashioned nine o'clock news type thing you know they, they don't really take into account online media and i think the most perfect illustration of this was the i think this was 2017 the f-35 taking off from queen elizabeth for the first time mm. images were released they were everywhere online but the bbc had an exclusive and it wasn't to, so i think this was happened on a wednesday but we weren't to publish it until the friday after the bbc had done it it was ridiculous. We had so many emails, you know, people say, oh, but your colleagues at the BBC, they've, they've spent a lot of money to come out here to film this. And I, I, I really can't get my head around that argument. Well, you invited them and not us. Why, why would I care how much they, of my money, more to the point, they have spent? <laughs> you know? Yeah. But no, it's, um, to, to cut my point a little bit shorter than I, I suppose I'm rambling at this point, in the UK, Dealing with defence media, individually the guys are great, but the system is so antiquated, it's so old-fashioned. The US, I think, do absolute. Now, despite, you know, what you see in Congress and what have you, the US system for dealing with defence media is light years ahead. Light years yeah. Ahead. Go, go, go to DVIDs, they, ha they have a full, you know, version yeah. available for download. In fact, oftentimes, um, during the Carrier Strike Group 21 deployment, I would be able to access imagery from Britain's flagship 
on the US site about three to four days before I would on defence imagery in the UK. It blew my mind. <laughs> yeah, well, granted, with those multinational exercises, it's frequently someone's going to post it first, and yeah. uh, well, 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 it's usually interesting to see who does post it first. I remember there were joint. Um, uh, I believe it was uh, Singapore, I believe Malaysia and the U.S. had, a, or, or no, it was Singapore, Malaysia and South Korea had a joint exercise. And um, the U.S. was involved as well. And of course, I, I believe it was uh, Malaysia's um, military services that posted images before anyone else did. Um, so it, it, it's, it, it, at least with multinational exercises, someone's going to, you know, beat someone else to the punch and get images out early. But when dealing, you know, with, with that embargoes and especially just, you know, late content, it, it's sort of difficult to deal with. Yeah. it's Also, like, th this is purely my personal opinion, but it seems like so many things that, in my view, my very, you know, I have no military experience whatsoever, so I could be talking nonsense, but I see a lot of posts that, in my opinion, I can't imagine doing much for things like recruitment or engagement. For example, um, about a week ago, we had an embargoed um, news story. Jensen, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Jensen Button. Mm -hmm. Of course we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> um, I'll, we, basically that he had wished the British Armed Forces Happy New Year. Now, that was an embargoed news story. Who, and with all due respect, who cares? You know, but like, there are so many things they do. I know that... Their job is to be, you know, to train and fight, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, which is must always take priority. But if they're going to try and do media engagement, they really have to do things that are engaging. For example, um, when I was at Dunoon, which is a small town uh, near Glasgow on the coast in Scotland, there were a lot of low-flying Hercules and Atlas aircraft. You know, like I, I, can, I can imagine a tweet, like a video from one of those aircraft. What they guys do day to day when they're training would be so much more engaging than a happy new year message from jensen button you know it's to, if you want to spread the message of what the armed forces do day to day that kind of thing is what should be in my opinion what should be shared about who am i <laughs> and and that is one thing that i think the us does do better there there is yeah. a wholehearted focus on recruitment above all else um at least for a lot of public affairs individuals and I do actually like to follow public affairs accounts for individual units and especially individual ships um, because they frequently put out at least information a bit quicker because it's done at the unit PAO level, um, which is, you know, again, more helpful and comes with a bit more detail. And, yeah. you know, I've at least found it to be that. I think in my own experience, the individual unit, ship, etc. accounts, especially on Twitter, are fantastic. It's when things start to be, move up the chain where things slow down. Mm. And honestly, I, I don't know what the solution to that could be. More authority to publish these things, but again, that's well above anything I have experience in. Yeah, I mean, it always could be worse. It could be a lot of European militaries who don't re release information or pictures or videos until days or even weeks after an event happens. Because um, yeah. I, I, I remember... Um, I believe it was um, 
which European Navy sent a ship to join CSG 21? I'm, I'm blanking on it right now. Was the it um, the Dutch, the Netherlands? Cause I remember we were seeing imagery coming basically and images would get released by, you know, various CSG 21 related accounts. Um, you know, the US, the UK, um, MOD and stuff. And then the Netherlands would be like a week later releasing the same images. Yeah. And... One thing in the defense of the Netherlands, though, there was a photographer on the Everson, I think, I think the name of the ship was, who would send us images. But yeah, they, they, they typically were stuff that had already been released, but he would do it daily. You know, he was really trying, but again, he, I suppose he can only really publish what he's allowed to. So yeah. Like this, yeah. And I definitely think at some point, you know, there is an advantage of larger publications that they're able to, you know, work with the MOD and the, of course, the the U.S. Department of Defense to actually, you know, send people to chase after stories. Um, yeah. That that is an inherent advantage that they have that that I don't, you know, I I don't think we'll ever be able to beat them on, just yeah. because of course they they have massive newsrooms and they're able to do that. Um, but, you know, it highlights the importance of, you know, good public affairs outreach um, because, you know, that that is replacing, you know, that private organization um, with something that, of course, everyone pays their taxes on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think the UK Defence Journal is is at the sort of cusp of that. We occasionally get invited to, to things, you know, I, I don't mean, you know, things like DSEI. I mean, like out with units um, the US Navy surprisingly has invited us I think the most recent one was to the Black Sea but again this not being the day job this being a part time hobby we don't really have the resources or the time to do that kind of thing so that's that's one of the biggest problems we have and that's the problem with being in Glasgow it's unless something's happening on the Clyde um, which again is I was invited onto HMS Glasgow the first Type 26 frigate and build and the reason was now this is before a lot of higher profile i think it was actually a lot for a lot of vips the sole reason was i happened to live about three miles away and i post a lot about the ship so they just wanted to bring me on and have a look about but very few things are in glasgow yeah well i i, I will say you we uk defense journal really does have the advantage of being you know sort of based out of glasgow and having you know access to um uh, the Clyde River Shipyard and and being able to actually, um, you know, cover that stuff closely because I haven't seen really any other publications, you know, with the depth of coverage just because, again, they, they really aren't any aren't sending anyone out to Glasgow, yeah. even though it is one of the largest shipyards um, in terms of building uh, military vessels in all of the UK. So, yeah, I mean, it, it does help. I can see it from the, the window at my day job too so i mean <laughs> i can't seem to get away from hms glasgow which isn't a bad thing but yeah yeah <laughs> it's it, it's certainly an asset to have yeah but um no so to round off what i'm saying about the uk defense journal if i may um i feel like i've been rambling about this for quite a while now but welcome welcome to the awesome bunker <laughs> podcast we ramble for hours on end that's expected fair enough uh, no so it was it was one thing i'm the most thing I'm most proud of, I think, is I've posted about this a few times, but I don't know if either of you guys have heard of NewsGuard. Essentially what they are, it's um, how best to describe NewsGuard. So they're a journalism technology tool that rates credibility of news and tracks online misinformation. 
We recently received a 100 out of 100 from them because, the, and I quote, this website adheres to all nine of NewsGuard's standards of credibility and transparency. And I, th I think that honestly it felt like a graduation for me because this started, as I said, probably hundreds of times as a daft little monthly blog on things I wasn't really well placed to talk about but just had an interest in. And to go from that to NewsGuard actively reaching out to us and getting 100 out of 100 for things like does not publish false content, gathers and presents information responsibly, um, avoids deceptive headlines, etc., etc. I was extremely proud of the work myself and others have done. Mm. You know, including obviously both you guys too, because everything was taken into account. They, they, they would look for people's uh, authors' profiles, etc. All that kind and, of thing. And so, there, there is that other point of, you know, if we mess something up, we're going to sit down and, you know, immediately explain to people how we messed it up, in what way we messed it up. And mm -hmm. I, I think that's our personal reaction or our personal interactions with everyone is yeah. definitely um, a really good thing to have. And I don't think a lot of other publications do have that same level of, you know, personal interaction between, you know, members of the staff, contributors, and of course you, George, just with the general public and with the readership as well. I think when you're not, when you're independent, you're not owned by anyone else, I, I think there is more freedom to, you know, go, look, I made a mistake, I'm sorry. Hmm. You know, this is, I published this, this was wrong, this is what it should have said. I think it's more difficult the more interconnected you are with a, a hierarchy above you. Because like, everything must be approved, and I'd imagine someone somewhere would go, oh no, that might make us look bad, just ignore it, move on. But I've always found it very important to say I've made a mistake. I, I think the biggest one I made this year was, now, you guys are experts at OSINT. I just read tweets. <laughs> um, I think someone had tweeted, who looked credible to me, had tweeted that some B-52s were on the way to bomb an airbase in Afghanistan. That didn't obviously did not happen. So... I published a retraction of that, um, and people did seem to respond to that quite well. So I think, realistically, if you want to be taken seriously, if you want to be trusted, you have to hold your hands up to mistakes, which is more difficult for larger organizations to do, but... Yeah. Yeah. And, and at least what I've found is, is people are very receptive when you admit you've made a mistake. Yeah. Very, very receptive um, and, and appreciate it. They, they really do, especially when you, you know, you go out and, and admit you've messed up and, and, and explain why people are just so receptive to stuff like that. We have been trying a lot recently. So um, as you guys know, there, there is a team of us. It's all volunteer. It's people contributing in their free time. But we are trying to move to a system now where someone else, regardless of whether it's me or written the article, someone else has to check it. But again, the, the kind of problem there is if it's a 24-7 sort of news cycle, that's, some for volunteers, that isn't entirely feasible. I can't, mm. for example, let's say I get an exclusive that the UK is going to buy Charles de Gaulle, you know, uh, tomorrow, <laughs> and stretch it out to make it a proper sized aircraft carrier. Now, I have to publish <laughs> that. I have to, <laughs> I have to publish that as soon as realistically po possible. Otherwise, what's the point, you know? Um, it is a passion, and my passion is getting things Getting the scoop, I think, is, is what professional journalists say. Mm. Um, but yeah, I I know what the traditional process is, and you you will typically run something through, you know, multiple layers of editors, which can significantly slow down um, 
the the speed of actually getting a story out. Um, I also I, I'm in a journalism school as well, and um, it you know hearing stories from uh you know professional journalists and hearing you know from being done with an article to you know eight hours later you'll see it get posted yeah. or see it go live um after it's gone through you know those multiple layers of editorialism. Um, and there is that other element of within sort of most news organizations that editorial staff is um, sort of insular and separated from the journalists themselves, um, which can result in, you know, frequent miscommunications and issues and um, just delays. And, and you know, it's it, that can also contribute to that perceived element of disconnectedness from the um, from the reader and from the audience. Yeah. Um and it's, you know, that there's a reason people think that traditional media is less friendly. And, and you know, there it's it's because it is. It, it is less accessible. Well, I mean, on the, the flip side of that, a lot of the, lar- well, not even just larger organizations, but a lot of similar um, organizations to the UK Defence Journal, maybe not similar in the way they're structured, but similar in what they cover. I think a lot of them are really trying to increase the speed at which they put items out. I won't name, you know, the, the organisation I'm thinking of, but we have been having a lot of trouble with, let's say, for example, there was a parliamentary, you know, evidence session last week. I would publish an article on it today, and within an hour or two hours of me publishing that, more or less the exact same article, worded diff- slightly differently, will appear on, you know, maybe one or two other websites. And that, I think, is my biggest... Is my biggest pet peeve with online media just now is the sort of more traditional outlets. They scrape the internet for content and it is so it's so bad because a lot of them the people scraping the content aren't familiar with the topic. So it gets butchered. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time they will link back or mention us. So people maybe there's this perception that we don't know what we're talking about because someone has a perfect example would be the five inch uh, gun story from a while back <laughs> size of a toothbrush guy yeah. but we were mentioned in that article in a lot of comments um oh the uk defense journal is just a blog ignore them it's like but that's not what we said <laughs> you know it was so it's so frustrating but I, I think i i think i've said this before but i don't see that going away with an ever increasing need to get information out there and then uh, that problem is, in my opinion, only going to get worse. Yeah, and, and it, it's similar to I think how sort of BuzzFeed News was um, in the early days of you know being lambasted as oh it's just a blog and it's you know this joke website, um, yeah. and then they proceeded over a four year period to you know continue to put out just this high quality work and I, I think there still is the element of that you know there there will always be people saying you know oh it's a blog don't listen to it but you know. Mm-hmm. You, you you don't need this official hierarchy and um, this this old media type air to actually you know put out good content. Oh, absolutely. We had a lot of when we first started a, a lot of again I, w- I won't name names or organisations, but people were very dismissive of the fact at the time we were just a bunch of students writing you know on a blog, as I said. But now a lot of those same people uh, frequently retweet or you know ask us for quotes on various things, and it's. It's always so tempting to rub people's faces, you know, but yeah. Yeah, it's, 
again, I, I think I probably have the most exposure to old or old form media, you know, your print journalism. Um, but it's, it's very toxic, I think. And there, or it has become toxic in recent years as, you know, members either aren't able to sort of adapt to a new media landscape or don't want to adapt to a new media landscape or, you know, actually detest the way that, you know, media has changed and, and sort of refuse to adapt. Um, and, you know, there, there are a lot of people like that and they, they will be very vocal and, you know, they'll say, well, oh, I wrote for X publication for, you know, 20 years and we did it this way. And, you know, I, I think there was just this sort of ingrained period of print journalism um, and, and it's mostly turned over now, but there, there are still those voices, um, that, you know, are out there and exist and, and I think probably will for a while. Um, but, but at this point, I think people have recognized that, you know, their media has changed. It's different. The biggest problem with that is though, and it's, it's also the biggest problem and, you know, the, the biggest benefit, but anyone can publish news. I, I think mm. the issues with that just now are the fact that well, I think we, we see this constantly with COVID-19 misinformation. The fact people do not, I don't think, critically evaluate what they read online. And I think no, this, that is that is a yeah. huge issue. And I think this is one of the big problems with more of your sort of established uh, tabloids, for example. Again, I won't name any names or anything <laughs> like that, but so many of them are. And it's on purpose because... And I feel confident enough to say that because I've been contacted by journalists from, again, no names, <laughs> wanting me to give a quote saying a specific thing, which is so unethical. It blows, it blows my mind every single time. And I say every single time because this isn't a rare occurrence. It's almost once a week, once every two weeks. There was a horrible, horrible picture of me in the, I think it was The Sun, The Express. So I'd published a series of tweets regarding defending the rock you know against the spanish it was just hypothetical it was it was more silly than anything so the picture of me is captioned me with my thumb up actually i think it's the picture that i'm using um for those who can't see me it's me with my thumb up um smiling yeah so they published that with the caption george allison warned of heavy casualties and it was just so uh, words can't describe how terrible that was to see yeah yeah, I I have I I believe I've only communicated with a single publication to um, refrain from using my work. Um, you know, linking, embedding my tweets, using my yeah. tweets in their articles. Um, just because there was a track record of said unnamed publication of sort of using my contents to sort of you know blow things out of proportion. Especially, um, I think it actually was related to um, uh, B fifty twos over Afghanistan. Yeah. So. It's, again, it's something that you have to be super careful with. Um, and there will always sort of be that clickbait element, especially if yeah. it involves um, anything related to, you know, defense stuff or, you know, any ongoing event that sort of gains more more of a wider understanding. Like, you know, I, I know Afghanistan got a lot of attention, but why didn't, you know, the uh, Myanmar coup get more attention and, and, you know, tabloids publishing stories about you know, the horrific things that happened there. I just, uh, there there definitely is an element of things hitting the wider culture and getting taken advantage of. 
I honestly see a lot of ta- online, sorry, a lot of the online presence for a lot of tabloids. I see them on their way out, and I think paywalls. Now I, I could be entirely wrong, but I, I see a paywall as a sign of something dying. If that makes any sense, it's twenty twenty. No, it's not. It's twenty twenty two. If you want to read something that's paywalled, you're not going to pay. Unless you particularly support this paper because probably you your beliefs align with theirs, you're just going to Google it. You're going to read it somewhere else, mm. you know? Yeah. And that's the thing. I don't really know how larger outlets can do anything but put up a paywall. But as I say, it, it signals to me is it signals to me that they're in trouble. And I think over the next five, ten years, I think we're going to see a massive, massive we already are, a massive shake up of the news landscape. I see it being more well-regarded um, blogs, volunteer efforts, unless, you know, again, not naming any <laughs> publications, but I think once people realise that misinformation, not, no, no, that, that's not fair, not misinformation, let's just say not entirely true content published with a specific purpose, once people become more aware of this, I honestly don't see most of these publications surviving. I really don't, but the question then becomes, how do you educate the public on the fact they're reading nonsense? Yeah. And, and I think another risk that we run into is, even though I, I will spend a lot of time bashing old media, their ability to do, you know, deep dives and in investigative oh, yeah. journalism is is unparalleled. I mean, mm-hmm. we rely on a lot of the content that they produce. Oh, yes. um, you know, I, I, I forget who it was that was on um, HMS Defender. Um uh, when when the incident in the Black Sea happened, but it it, it they were from a traditional media outlet, and their their reporting was very very essential in a lot of um, the open source intelligence accounts, sort of corroborating yeah. um, both Russian claims, Russian media claims, and actually you know they they had good quality footage of the incident. Um, they had, you know, good quality sound of the incident and we were sort of able to use that footage and that sound and that reporting to, um, to assist our work. Um, so there, there is that element of that traditional media sort of really helping. Um, and of course, uh, organizations, I think, um, is it, who has been working with Bellingcat closely? I think it's been, um, the New York Times, but I would need to double check that. Um, that does ring a bell, but mm, I'm not sure. It's either them or uh, Washington Post, but I can't remember off the top of my head. Yeah, I think it might be Washington Post. But stuff like that, I think, really is the future of um, of sort of taking that deeper dive content. Um, and again, I, I don't think that traditional media is going to be able to sort of claw back the role of reporting breaking news. But yeah. but that deeper and more involved content is something that they're probably always going to be able to beat us in. And I don't object to that. Frankly, stuff yeah. like that is extremely important. They have the resources, quite frankly, to, to do that. And a lot of them, I think, their, their investigative stuff is superb. You know, um, I think you mentioned BuzzFeed. Yeah, um, they're, I can't remember what the story was, but they've done a fantastic fantastic deep dive recently that a lot of people originally i'd imagine avoided because it was buzzfeed but they're making a name for themselves as an investigative outlet now and i 
honestly see a lot of them going that way. And again, like I think that's actually why things like this podcast are incredibly important because it gives people an opportunity to listen to a discussion, listening to people critically evaluate something, not on their behalf, but people maybe in a better place to understand a subject than them, maybe helping them to get from A to B on a topic. And yeah, I really do see the future of online media going away from like the best way to not online media. So the future of media in general going away from printed papers. Well, this hot take as if that hasn't already happened, but going away from online. George's George's hot takes from two thousand four. <laughs> yeah, but like as I say, podcasts like this, I think, are the future. You know, that's a very grand statement, but. What is the future of this podcast specifically? We've spoken a lot, a lot about the UK Defence Journal. What what are you guys planning on doing now? How has your year went? Yes, I mean obviously. Um, I'll actually I'll let I'll let John do this. He's he's responsible for more of the organisation than I am. <laughs> yes, yeah, so the last um, obviously we started the podcast back in February of last year, so we're not even a year old yet um, as a podcast. And as we mentioned earlier, we've now surpassed. The two hundred and fifty thousand um, interactions mark. Um, that is an incredible when, achievement. When I looked at it today, I think it was up to two hundred and fifty-eight thousand already. Um, and and it, it has been incredible. Just the, particularly in the last couple of months, the sheer jumps that we've taken in in sort of the interest people have shown in the podcast. Um, obviously, at the minute we've got obviously this episode and a few more coming for the rest of season two um, and we have season three already in planning um, we've sort of got a few provisional dates for uh, episode releases for season yeah. three um, we're probably going to go back with season three to the sort of format we had with season one um, where it will be the podcast team um, without guests this time um, just sort of discussing world events as they happen yeah um, um, but yeah so obviously the plan is that we will start season 3 around uh, about the end of February um, heading into early March and um, we'll carry on doing what we've been doing because clearly uh, yes, people are out there and, and, and they are keen to hear what, what we have to say and keen to hear what's going on in the world and I think yeah, well, one of the things about the podcast that has been so important as well is that we are covering a lot of topics that some of them are making the mainstream media and yeah. some of them just aren't and it's kind of it's good for people to be able to hear what else is going on in the world because i think particularly with obviously the events of the last few years where we've been dealing with the coronavirus pandemic a lot of sort of national media has been focused very much on what's going on in the country and not so much on what's going on around the world, and so yeah. I think I, I think it's important as well that we you know we continue doing what we're doing and, and and getting the news of what is going on around the world out to people because it has as much of an impact on on life here as as things in the country have. Oh yeah, absolutely, and I, I think one of the reasons I personally enjoy listening to the podcast it's a wide range of views on a wide range of topics. A lot, a lot of similar podcasts. Not, I guess, not not that there are a lot of similar podcasts, but a lot of other podcasts will focus purely. You know, it will be a short episode and it'll focus on a singular issue. And I think the problem there lies that 
if you don't if you don't have a slight interest in that topic, you're not going to tune in. You're you're not going to listen to it. But with a wide range, people something is going to interest someone, you yeah. know. And honestly, I really, as I say, I enjoy it. And obviously, two hundred and fifty thousand people enjoy it. Is it was yeah. that a quarter of a million? Yeah, quarter of a million. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, honestly, keep up the good work. Is what I'll say. To you. <laughs> Yeah, and, and, and it would be amiss for me not to obviously thank you and, and, and the team at the UK Defence Journal because obviously your your support has been uh, hugely beneficial to the podcast in the last 12 months. Um, I, I think it was, I, I think we sat down with me, me, Technical, and yourself sat down probably around about this time last year and sort of floated the idea initially of doing a podcast yeah. uh, through the through the Discord server. Um, and and here we are, and and we're we're still going. Um, so yeah, that, that's brilliant. And uh... yeah, well, I mean, I do try and explain to people quite a lot that the, the and I'm sure listeners are aware that this podcast is completely independent of the UK Defence Journal. All we do is we just we just share it on our social media channels. We have no oversight. We have no input. I mean, I'm a guest. <laughs> you know, I'm not a panelist. Anything like that. We get a lot of requests from people, oh, can you cover this? Can I probably tell you this uh, quite a lot, John, that mm. people ask us, thinking we are you, to cover an item, and then magically it's almost the next week you guys have already spoken about it, you know? <laughs> there, was a, there was a comment, I think it was yesterday, I've not really been paying that much attention because obviously New Year's, um, but someone had asked, why haven't you talked about the South China Sea? And another commenter had posted a link to you guys talking about the South China Sea, and he was so happy to, to have that. And I think yeah. that comes back to what I was saying with a wide range of topics, you're going to hook in a larger number of people, obviously. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and and obviously that's one of the huge benefits of, of the, the open source intelligence community. We have people from all over the place who have a wide range of sources and we, we are able to get information that ultimately, you know, a, a lot of, larger more you know uh, how do you put it um more established news agencies yeah, yeah. would have to spend ridiculous quantities of money trying to get someone out there to to interview people and for us because of the way we operate it's sometimes it's as simple as a a message on telegram or or, or a similar platform and suddenly we have videos or we have yeah. photos of, of, of what's going on in different parts of the world and we're able to work with that and obviously build our understanding of what's of what's going on there. I think one of the benefits to what you guys do, especially through a podcast format, is there is this element with again, I'm not going to, you know, name any outlets or individuals. But a lot as I mentioned before, a lot of outlets have their own biases they, they have their own specific agendas which isn't a secret i mean a lot of newspapers exist solely f to serve a political aim that that's been true i think for however long we've had newspapers yeah. as a civilization but with a podcast it's a very different thing because there is an element of trust people trust that you guys know what you're talking about because they can hear you talk about these things you know and i think you you have a in the future you will have a greater responsibility than a lot of large established outlets simply due to that trust you know it's yeah people would rather talk to someone who isn't part of a big outlet 
like yeah. you guys <laughs> you know yeah so uh, you I completely yeah. agree at the end of the day you know the idea behind this podcast is to get the facts out there yeah. to people you know uh, we, we we often will express our opinions on, on on the podcast um we'll often write articles expressing our opinions on certain things but at the end of the day we provide people with the information that's yeah you know at the end of the day that is a large part of why we have our twitter accounts um and we, we, we share the information. We let people sort of make their own yeah. decisions, their um, own understanding of the situation from, from what we are able to provide them with. I mean, I'm definitely prone to creating a narrative um, just because, you know, I do that. But I, I definitely think our willingness to interact with people as well, even the people who disagree with us, hmm. uh, sort of generates that element of trust as well. I think I, I touched on this earlier on. I think you guys, your willingness to debate both sides of a point is so refreshing. I, I was listening to the last episode and it, it mentioned myself and the Ministry of Defence Carrier Strike Group 2022 20, tweet. Mm. And it, they still haven't got back to me, by the way. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I remember, I think, you know, I can't remember who was talking about which point, but... I heard it both ways too, so are they going to coordinate the deployment? Are they going to deploy together? Was it a mistake? It is nice and, as I said, refreshing to hear it debated rather than saying, this is definitely going to happen and then just moving on. It yeah. is refreshing to hear both sides of the point. I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, and and there, there, new, inher- there is inherently news in conflict just because, you know, that's that's how news works. It's It's not really news if there's only, you know, a single very easily understandable storyline that that's a blurb that that's for Reuters to write, you know, an 180 character tweet about and put it out. The, you know, what we get into is, is more the stuff where, where there actually is, you know, it's a confusing situation in there. You know, we know there are multiple aspects to it and multiple views. And we, we try to adequately take those views. You do a good job. And I think, the last 12 months but particularly since we started the podcast we've had a lot to talk about and it's it in some respects the way that 2021 panned out um with you know all, all sorts of situations south china sea ukraine and russia uh North ukraine and russia, russia again and, 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 and iran um I mean, we, 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 we could practically list half the world if, if, if we sat down and, and thought back through everything that we've discussed, um, you know, and it's, yeah, it, it, like you say, it's, it's, it's helpful to have all of those things going on when, when we are making the podcast, because as you say, it gives us plenty to talk about. And, and, and that's ultimately, that's the thing. We, we always have plenty to talk about. Um, I'm aware that we are sort of coming towards the end of this episode so before we uh before we run out of time i think maybe we should just sort of discuss maybe what we are expecting to see in the year to come um particularly sort of from an OSINT perspective oh lord um <laughs> i i know that one was addressed pretty much completely to me um uh i don't know we'll probably consider continue to see tensions between the u.s and china increase Mm. um 
I, I don't think I foresee China doing anything about Taiwan in the next year unless something happens between the U.S. and Russia or unless something maybe erupts in the Gulf. Yeah. Um, but it would have to be really significantly involved um, in order for them to do something in the next year. Um, I think tensions between the U.S. and Russia over Ukraine will continue to simmer. I'm still not completely convinced that Russia actually intends to do something. Um Though we're certainly going to continue to watch that. Um, tensions in Iraq are already sky high um, just between um, uh, Sadr and uh, the rest of the Iranian-backed PMUs, the fact that they'd sort of hate his guts. Um, so that's that's certainly going to be an element of a lot of tensions. Um, Iran yeah, is going to continue to sure. grow their nuclear program. You know, talked about that one a lot um and i think i don't going to see israel get to a point where they are going to have to act um i don't think they're at a point where they're ready to do that though no, and i, I don't, don't think, think they're, they're going to get there but i think they they know it's it's more a matter of time rather than if yeah no certainly i just i don't think 2022 is the year that it's going to happen um they just i don't think they have the resources yet to pull it off and of course, we, we, we can't go on without mentioning Afghanistan. Um, obviously, the disaster that that was in 2021, and, and, and it was a, I think it was a major focus point for us for quite a few episodes in the end. Um, the nation is still in turmoil. Um, I think it's fair to say that it hasn't fallen apart quite as quickly as I thought it might. Um, the Taliban, for it, to all intents and purposes, seem to be running the country in, in some way. Um, obviously, they're getting a lation from the international community, yeah. particularly with regards to things like education for women and, and, and children um, and, and, and rights and, and so on in that regard. Um, I do kind of think that it's a, a, a ticking bomb. Um, I think at some point we are going to see things just fall apart for the Taliban again and whether that leads to full-on civil war or some other form of humanitarian disaster in Afghanistan I think only time will tell but um, I, 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 as I said in, in one of my articles for the UK Defence Journal uh, not too, too many months back um, I do think we are going to see at some point in the next few years that NATO and the UN has to effectively turn around and say no okay we, we need to go back in now and, and fix this yeah. I, yeah, I think it. May, I think at this point it depends really on how stable the Taliban government is. Mm. Um, they they obviously have now more open patrons um, in the Middle East between the UAE and Pakistan than they did before. Um, I think they did learn something from 1998 um, and the chaos that followed. They 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 have complete control over Afghanistan. That's something they've never had before. That's a big thing for them. They are not actively fighting a conflict against anyone, apart from ISIS-K, um, but that's more of a terror threat than anything for them, which is something that they've kind of dealt with. Um, you know, obviously, we're going to still continue to see a lot of violence, especially in eastern Afghanistan. Um, but at this point, I think they're sort of keeping that under control. The main issue that we're going to see is potentially more violent groups use Afghanistan as sort of a home 
um, to plan and develop attacks. Absolutely, and I can see them doing that with what they believe to be impunity, knowing that there is no Western nation with the, the political will to return so quickly, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, no one, no one is conducting, you know, active anti-terror, you know, fighting in Afghanistan now, apart from the Taliban going after ISIS-K, but yeah. that's the only group they're going after. Um, so, you know, it, it really depends on what we see sort of develop in the West and the North of the country. Um, they are going to continue to fight with Iran, um, sort of, you know, those cross-border skirmishes, which I guess will distract Iran somewhat from other issues, but... Um, We'll, we'll continue to see that happen. And I think the final thing I probably should, I would be remiss if I didn't touch on, but of course, um, uh, uh, Kashmir and the Pakistani-India-Chinese um, relationship there. Um, there. There is a lot of conflict or a lot of threats of conflict um, yeah. that, that are ongoing and the tensions are or do remain very high. Pakistan just agreed to buy... Um, I believe it was 18 J-10s from uh, China in order to um, counter the Indian procurement of uh, Raphael's. So we'll see We'll see where that goes. Um, it, it definitely does indicate to me that there is a lot of tension. India says they have deployed an S-400 battery to the region. Um, so just gen- generally a lot, of, a lot of tension right now. Hmm. And I, I think that's pretty much going to be the norm for 2022. I think we've seen a lot of tensions throughout 2021, albeit in sort of short bursts in, in places, yeah. things escalating very quickly and then and then luckily in, in a lot of cases calming down very quickly as well. Um, I think that kind of trend is going to continue, whether we see more of it uh, in, the, in the next year or, or, or whether it sort of remains at, 2021 levels i i guess we'll, we'll have to wait and see but um yeah we'll be here covering all the news stories as and when they happen as as always and i think we'll just thank everyone for listening to this episode i i really hope everyone walked away with i guess a better idea of what's going on inside our heads and you know what we think about the last year yeah indeed. well thank you for having me guys yeah, no worries, George. It's been a pleasure. As always, it was a pleasure. Thank you. Pleasure was all me. Take care, gentlemen. And don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, you can catch the OSINT Bunker podcast via the rss.com downloads, or you can listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audible, and a host of other sites. So thank you very much for listening. This had the OSINT Bunker podcast, and uh, we want to wish you all a happy new year.